Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. Have a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi, Island as well. Tonight we get away from murder and I bring you a heist that could have been one of the largest heists of all time, but it just was never meant to be. We go to London and it's the year 2000 and a bunch of crims will get together to try and pull off a massive haul from the recently opened Millennium Dome. My references tonight are The Evening Standard, Real Crime, The Guardian, The Scottish Daily Record, KentOnline.uk and the book Diamond Geezers, The Inside Story of the Crime of the Millennium. Okay, so this week we go to sunny London for a heist you have when you're not having a heist. The story sort of starts on February the 11th, 2000, when there's a failed armed robbery of a Secure Corps armoured van at Nine Elms Lane on the south bank of the Thames at Battersea. It was 6.45am and the Secure Corps van, which was carrying about £10 million, now I don't know if that was £10 million just of pounds or cash, or it was a mixture of other things. Anyway, that left the Securicor Depot in Kirtling Street. Now, it didn't get far when it was blocked by a white Ford Transit van. Now, behind and to the left of the Securicor van, a green BMW pulled up, blocking any way that the security staff could reverse that van. Now, within seconds, five armed men wearing balaclavas to threaten the driver and his assistant in the van, screaming for them to get out and open the rear doors. Now, of course, they refused and they set off the duress alarm, which not only sent an alarm back to base and police, but it also set off a loudspeaker which blared out, Help! Secure Corps driver requires assistance! Please call police! Help! Blah, 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 blah. So they had this blaring out. But within a minute or so, explosions went off in the white Ford Transit van, the green BMW and another flatbed truck parked behind the armoured van. Now, the five masked men then fled towards the Thames River and witnesses said that they escaped in a speedboat or maybe even a little dinghy. Now, when police arrived... They found not only the transit van and the BMW burnt out, but there was another flatbed truck parked just around the corner blocking traffic. But curiously, there was another flatbed truck behind the armoured van. Now this was carrying Christmas trees, and it wasn't even Christmas. Now, hidden under the Christmas trees was a huge steel spike, and it was protruding out the back of the bed of the truck. Now, on it was chalked the word Gertie. Now, police theorised that the gang had planned to ram that spike into the armoured van by reversing the flatbed truck into the armoured van's rear doors, breaking it open to get the loot inside. Now, this may have worked, but as the truck had been parked blocking busy early morning London traffic, 
the crim who'd been in charge of that truck and had been driving it. Now, he'd left the keys in it while he got out and approached the armoured van with his balaclava and gun. Now, a member of the public was pissed off because the driver had just left the truck there. He walks up, grabs the keys from it, and he walks away. So when the would-be thief returned to get in it and rammed the armoured van, the keys were gone. Now, this made their plan totally unworkable, and then realising they had to flee empty-handed, they set off the explosions in the vehicles, and that was to try and destroy any forensic evidence, and then they made the getaway in this inflatable dinghy towards Chelsea. Now, this was such an unusual crime. Now, it got the attention of John Shatford, the detective superintendent of the Flying Squad. Now, the Flying Squad, they don't fly planes. And I'll rip this straight from Wiki. The Flying Squad, also known as the Robbery Squad, the Specialist Crime Directorate 7, SC and, uh, SC and O7, SO7, and their nickname, the Sweeney, from Cockney rhyming slang, Sweeney Todd. Now, it's a branch of the Serious and Organised Crime Command within London's Metropolitan Police Service. Now, the squad's purpose is to investigate robberies. Now, I reckon the best name out of that, the Specialist Crime Directorate 7. You could almost make a TV series out of that. In fact, they did make a TV series out of the Sweeney. So, detectives were blown away by the apparent amount of planning that would have been involved and equally amazed that it all came to nothing because a member of the public took the keys to the ram truck while the bandit left it to confront the Secura Corps employees. Now, while they got lucky that a robbery was avoided, there was no evidence to point to who may have tried to pull this heist off. And the criminal underworld were keeping quiet as well. Or maybe this was kept such a secret within a tight-knit group that no one really knew it was going on anyway. But Shatford knew that if they'd gone to this much effort to plan this failed attempt, there was probably a pretty good chance the gang would strike again. Because the getaway was so unusual, the Flying Squad theorised that the gang might not only plan another robbery, but also use the same method. So they look for vulnerable sites that may be targeted in the future. Sites that bordered the Thames, where a speedboat could be used as a getaway vehicle. The problem was that potential sites littered the length of the Thames and with no tip-off from informants, they really had no way of working out where the gang would strike next. Then, on July the 7th, 2000, a Securicore armoured van carrying £8 million was stopped by a gang of masked bandits wielding shotguns and pistols. A steel spike on the back of a flatbed truck was used to ram the back doors of the stopped armoured van at Beddow Way, Aylesford in Kent. They rammed the spike into the van, but as they were going to take the money out, just by chance a police car rounded the corner. So they shot at the police car, but then they took off and again they made their getaway in a speedboat on the River Medway. When investigators arrived, they noticed a spike on the flatbed of the ram truck and written in chalk was Gertie 2. We are persistent, aren't we? 
So, other than the whole MO of the failed robbery, which linked it to the robbery at Nine Elms Lane, but the bandits had a sense of humour and put a link to make there no doubt at all that these robberies were perpetrated, or attempted robberies were perpetrated by the same gang. So, we have these two attempted robberies, which had obviously had a lot of planning involved, which both failed. One, because the key got taken out of the ram truck, and the second, because just by chance, a cop car rounds the corner. But the flying squad knew the gang would plan another robbery, but they'd already changed location from the Thames in London to the River Medway, and that was about an hour's drive southeast of London. Then a constable that was assigned to go through newspaper reports on the Aylesford attempted robbery noticed a familiar truck in one of the photos. He recognised it from surveillance he'd been doing on a farm in regards to stolen vehicles and had seen that truck enter a large shed on this farm only a month or so before. Now the farm was Tong Farm in Brenchley and it's about an hour and a half southwest of London and it's only 20 minutes south of the Aylesford attempted robbery. Now, the farm had been purchased by a family of travellers who dealt in scrap metal, in cash and scrap metal. So you know they were probably a dodgy lot. Now, James Wenham, 55 at the time, was the head of the family, and his 33-year-old son, Lee Wenham, was a known small-time crook. The family had moved into the area around 1993, so that's about seven years before, and the community pretty much feared them. They didn't want to cross them. They didn't really want to do anything with them at all because all I can say is they feared them because these guys must have been dodgy guys. Okay, so now the flying squad had the Wenhams that they could investigate and see if anything panned out from that lead. They did surveillance on the farm and watched numerous stolen vehicles enter, including a JCB digger. Now, this JCB digger wasn't like a full-sized front-end loader. It's smaller, but not as small as those little bobcat things, you know, you can fit in your backyard. Then career criminal Ray Betson and his right-hand man Bill Cockrum were seen talking to Wenham at the farm. Now, these were two crims from London. Ray Betson, born 1961, his first conviction was at 14 for burglary, adding 17 other convictions over the years, and he ended up only really spending three years in jail. And a police file on Ray described him as, known as the General, owns flats in Canary Wharf, London, also owns flats in Spain. House in Kent is worth £500,000. Spent £25,000 flying to New York on Concord for a millennium party. No job, a millionaire. All his money is from robbery, drug smuggling and other crimes. Dangerous. Main suspect in failed robbery on 11th of February 2000 in Nine Elms Road. May strike again. Could be soon. Alert. So... There you go. No job and a millionaire. Who would who, who would love to be that? Anyway, the 49-year-old William, or Bill Cockrum, was a construction worker friend of Betson. He, was, he had small convictions, nothing really big. 
Cochran didn't show his money like Betson did. He shared a terraced house in Catford, South London, with his wife, and officially he was a builder and plumber, but had a rap sheet which included wounding with intent, and he had served 15 months inside. Now, Betson and Cochrane, they grew up in south-east London, but first came to Scotland Yard's attention in 1996 when armed robbers stole three million pounds from a security van in Barking. The same year, an armed gang in Hastings stole five million pounds by convincing a post office worker that they were holding his family hostage. Now, descriptions of two of the men matched Cochrane and Betson, but they didn't have enough evidence to book them. So with Betson and Cochrane visiting the farm to see Lee Wenham, police were now sure they had a good lead into the previous attempted robberies, and for sure this gang were planning another. But where and when? They then identified a fourth person, Terence Millman, armed robber with a string of firearm convictions. He'd spent 14 years in prison for armed robbery, and he looked much older than his 57 years. He had advanced stomach cancer, and he didn't have long to live. On the 25th of August, surveillance picked up a speedboat being taken to the farm. The Flying Squad and Kent Police held a meeting to try and identify possible locations for the gang's next hit. Then during surveillance... They found Lee Wenham was looking to take the family out for the day and that this ticket was going to cost £58. Now, that turned out to be a trip to the Millennium Dome. Okay, so when I first heard this, I wasn't sure how they knew the ticket was £58 but didn't know what it was, you know, if if they're sort of looking at someone's credit card records or whatever, it'd say what it was. So I sure... Maybe someone out there can explain it to me or I missed it in research. But anyway, they found that the family ticket to the Dome was £58. Now, in a meeting where they discussed why Wenham would go to the Dome, because even though it was new, it really wasn't patronised well by the public. It really wasn't a place many people wanted to go at the time. There was a lot of controversy over the whole construction of it, but I'm not going to get into that now. Then a constable mentioned that the Millennium Star Diamond was going to be on show there in the near future. Now, the Millennium Star would be the main attraction at a £350 million display by De Beers and the Dome, that's just right on the river. The Millennium Star Diamond at 203.04 carats is colourless, internally and externally flawless and pear-shaped. It was 777 carats when dug out of the ground. There was also the Heart of Eternity Diamond at 27.64 carats and its colour is fancy vivid blue, which apparently is a very rare colour of diamond. Now, Operation Magician had now been formed by the Flying Squad in total secrecy to investigate the gang. Now, it had over 100 officers, and this would end up costing a lot of money, which we will get to later. The Flying Squad then stepped up surveillance on Wenham. They got an undercover officer, Sean Allen, into the security room of the Millennium Dome to monitor the CCTV. The cover story was he was looking for drug dealers. On the 25th of August, Wenham went to the dome with his wife and kid. 
He was seen to walk around the dome and it looked like he was casing the place, checking out access points. Police dressed in plain clothes mingled inside watching Wenham's every move. Now, Wenham went to the diamond vault where they were holding these diamonds three times. So, it did look like the next target of the gang would be the three fifty million pounds worth of diamonds at the Dome. Now, several times, Wenham, Betsam and Cochrane were seen at the Dome, checking it out and taking video. Millman was seen running a speedboat up and down the Thames. Now, they worked out every time the gang were at the Dome, it was during high tide. Now, low tide would be too low to operate the speedboat. So, the flying squad needed info on when the diamonds would be vulnerable, so they contacted De Beers. De Beers thought that there was no way they're getting into this vault. The area was constructed of solid concrete and had solid doors, but they did concede the door would be open when the public was viewing them. Now, the diamonds were further encased in thick, impregnable glass. Now, this glass was supposed to be able to withstand 30 minutes of bashing away with it with any device you could think of. Basically, you wouldn't have enough time to break into it before the cops or security guards would come and get you. The Flying Squad then thought it was more likely the raid would happen during the transport of the diamonds because of how secure this vault area was. Now, there was going to be a display of the diamonds in Tokyo, so the diamonds were due to be transported out. Now, this would happen on the 1st of September, and the diamonds would be driven to De Beers headquarters in London, and then they would be flown to Japan. So the flying squad thought they must have an insider at De Beers who tipped off the gang about this secret transfer of the diamonds. Now, there was a huge contingent of 300 police officers that were in and around the dome. The river also had police boats in the water. And during the early hours of September the 1st, the diamonds were taken and replaced with replicas. At 6am, the armoured convoy left for De Beers headquarters. The flying squad, well, they followed the convoy in cars and they had helicopters in the air and they were wondering where and when this convoy would be hit. They thought Blackwall Tunnel was a possible target and everyone clinched their sphincters as they approached and entered. And then, nothing happened. The convoy continued to De Beers' head office and the diamonds were safe. There was just nothing. Now they thought maybe the gang had been tipped off or maybe someone from the media had found out. Now Operation Magician was costing a lot of money with nothing to show for it, especially as it was investigating a gang that had failed to actually steal anything yet. Then later that morning, a call came from Sean Allen at the Dome security room saying he saw Betson and Cochrane at the Dome casing the place out. Now, they were checking out the Diamond Vault area and walking around the Dome. They couldn't have had an insider at De Beers or been tipped off that the diamonds had been swapped out for replicas that they'd been transfer, transported out. They had no idea. That's why they're walking around still casing the place. And that's why they didn't raid the convoy going back to head office. Now, on the 8th of September, surveillance were watching the boat. And four days later, on the 12th of September, the gang tested this boat, but it wasn't working very well. 
On the 3rd of October, Terence Millman was spotted going to a boat yard to buy another boat at Whistable on the north coast of Kent. He paid £2,000 cash for it. Cops moved in on the boat yard and checked the receipt, noticing that it was signed not Terence Millman, but it was signed Terry Diamond. Well, there, there you go. Surveillance also picked up that they were using the yellow JCB a lot. On October the 6th, the JCB was moved from Tong Farm to a derelict coal yard, coal yard in Plumstead, South London, about five miles or eight kilometres from the dome. Now, there seemed to be a lot of work being done on this JCB, but investigators weren't sure exactly what they were doing. Surveillance noticed a fifth guy, Aldo Chirochi, 29-year-old, in a meeting at a Bermondsey car park. He was a failed property or wannabe property developer and shoplifter who had dated Cockrum's daughter in the past. Now, he was desperate for money so he could hold on to his new high-maintenance American girlfriend. Now, Aldo had grown up in a run-down Bermondsey estate and trained as a bricklayer, but he also drove a a Saab convertible and lived in a £300,000 Docklands flat. The flying squad were piecing the puzzle together, but they still needed results. They were sure the gang would strike soon, and local police told the flying squad that there was only a few places where the boat could get in and out, and there was only a 30-minute window on when this could be done because of the tides. And the next high tide would be Monday, November the 6th at 9.30am. Detective Superintendent Shatford got his units ready at the dome at 2am on the 6th. Now, officers were smuggled into the dome, some in vans, furniture vans, some as cleaners or other workers. They were hiding their weapons in garbage bags, cleaning trolleys, wherever. There were hundreds of them, not only on the ground, but up high as well on cranes. And there were police boats ready to roll, helicopters, the whole deal. They knew this gang was coming in. They had to be prepared and they had to have the firepower to go against them. At 6.50am, surveillance reported the JCB was leaving the coal yard and they saw the boat moving as well. Then, there's a car crash outside the dome blocking traffic. The cops arrive with red and blue lights everywhere dealing with this crash. Now, this spooked the gang and the JCB turned back and the boat went back as well. Now, Shatford was shattered. This was a costly operation on a gang that had failed to steal anything in two other attempted robberies. Now, he needed results. He needed them quick, as Operation Magician had now been leaked to the media and they were only going to hold back for it on on reporting on it for a very limited time. But the next day would have a higher tide. Now, Shatford gambled everything that the gang would have another go on the 7th. And he was right. At 8.43am, the JCB is leaving the coal yard and the boat was also on the move. Now, the boat came down the A13 to a position on the north side of the Thames, driven by Millman. Now, it's then put into the water. Now, I'm not 100% sure on this A13. When you have a look at it on Google Earth, I'm not 100% sure it's coming, going to the right spot. But I don't live in London. Maybe people can tell me better. Anyway. At 9.29am, the boat is doing a drive by the dome. 
The JCB reaches the approach road to the dome with Betson driving and three robbers hidden inside this modified cab. So that's what they were doing with it. They were modifying the cab so people could hide inside, like a Trojan horse sort of thing. The JCB drove into a construction area outside the dome fence, and this was around 9.30 a.m. Then a coach, <laughs> a coach, a coach load of school kids turned up at the diamond vault, so the cops had to get them out of there really quick. They're expecting heavily armed criminals who are not shy to have a shootout with police, and all of the police are heavily armed as well. They don't need friggin' school kids getting in the way, or else it could just be a school kid bloodbath. At 9.33am, it was on. Betson crashed the JCB through a reinforced fence, then smashed it through a 15-foot-high gate. He then drove towards the dome, crashing through the side wall of it. Yep, he didn't go through a doorway, he just went straight through the wall. Now, outside, the boat approached the pier at the dome. The JCB then drove towards and parked outside the De Beers vault. They all jumped out of the JCB. Aldo... Karochi threw smoke grenades to create confusion and keep the public away. Now, Cochram and a guy, Robert Adams, who, by the way, had only joined the gang the night before after one guy dropped out, they went inside the vault area. First, they fired a, fired a healthy industrial nail gun into the glass and then they smashed it with a sledgehammer. Now, within seconds, this so-called impregnable glass had a fist-sized hole in it. At 9.39am, Shatford called everybody in. Betson and Karochi were arrested without any struggle outside the vault. Cochran and Adams, they hit the deck inside the vault area after stun grenades were thrown in and they were arrested without incident. They were pretty dazed and confused. Now, Robert Adams, he did have a conviction for attempted murder on his wife, But, like I said, he'd only just been roped into this gang the night before. How'd you feel? Kevin Meredith, he was the boat driver. Now, he owed Cochrane £1,400 and he'd been asked to run the boat to pay off his debt. Plus, he was just going to get a little £10,000 drink. He really wasn't a crim at all. Now, apparently, he'd actually pulled the boat up to the wrong pier. Now, Millman... He was disguised as a workman standing next to a Ford Transit van. He was arrested on the north side of the Thames Thames River waiting for the boat that never came. Lee Wenham, he was arrested at Tong Farm in a synchronised raid. Another guy, one that pulled out of the gang just before it went down, was a James Hurley who took off to Spain. Now, he would be suspected of being the big brains of the operation. I don't know if... how big the brains of these three operations were because they didn't get anything. Now, as you know, that when the Diamonds had been flown to Tokyo for that exhibition and replicas were put in their place, well, when the Diamonds came back to London, they kept the replicas in the exhibition. There was nothing worth stealing. So how'd you be? This gang pretty much did those two failed robberies and on the third that they also failed in, There was nothing to steal anyway. So the gang was originally thought to be heavily armed, but they were unarmed. The only thing that would be close to a weapon was the nail gun and the sledgehammer. This point would be brought up at trial. Aldo 
Karochi, William Cochran, Raymond Betson, Robert Adams and Kevin, Kevin Meredith would all be tried together, but Lee Wenham wanted a separate trial. Lee Wenham was jailed for nine years for his part in the attempted robbery. He admitted conspiring to steal the gems and he also admitted a part in the failed £9 million robbery of the Securicorp van in Aylesford, Kent. His father, James Wenham, would have all charges dropped. Now, this was a bit sus here. I reckon Lee took the rap for his dad because they were both charged, but Lee ended up saying, oh, dad had nothing to do with it. It was all me. Now, the defense for the other part of the gang tried to make out that they weren't armed and it was more like shoplifting than a brazen robbery. (laughs) So, the four were convicted of conspiracy to rob. That was Aldo. He was 32 years old at the time. He got 15 years. There was William Cochran or Bill Cochran. He was 49 at the time. He got 18 years. There was Raymond Betson, who was 40 at the time. He got 18 years. And there was Robert Adams, 57. He got 15 years. Then there's Ken Meredith. He was only 34 at the time. He was cleared of conspiracy to rob, but convicted of the lesser charge of conspiracy to steal. He was jailed for five years. Terence Millman, he died before reaching trial. Now this James Hurley guy, the one who went to Spain, he couldn't be extradited and he faced no charges. So Islanders, what a bunch of tools. Basically, the core group tried to pull off the first two failed robberies, that's for sure. And then not only did they fail hard at the Millennium Dome, but even if they had pulled that off, they would have only stolen replicas anyway. Now, the thing is, you've got to think, where would they have fenced these diamonds? Diamonds like that. Now, some say they already had a customer, maybe in Russia or in Dubai. We'll never know. And they're actually thinking James Hurley might have been the guy who was lining that up. But imagine if they did get these things and the buyer sent his dude to make the exchange, what their faces would have looked like when they were told it was just fake, unless it was just really obvious from the weight of it that was fake. Well, that's something a little different this week. I hope you enjoyed the change. Now, I'd like to thank all my past and present patrons for their support of the show. It really does help me out with all the bills. And don't forget, we are commercial free. I don't make any money that way. If you want to give a dollar a month, go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and join the gang. Or if you just want to shout me a beer like the Mystery Islander did the other day and you know who you are, you can donate to paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Go to my website, True Crime Island, where you can stream each episode if you don't want to download iTunes or your pod player. I've got links to merch, social media, and you can also email me if you want to get in touch. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as always, say... Don't forget to delete your browser history. Night.